I'm preaching this morning on disruptions. And it's always high risk when you want to preach on something like a disruption and then you have your cooling and heating system disrupted. I just want to make special mention um, to everyone joining us online. If you're in the southern hemisphere and it's starting to get a bit chilly, a bit cold, uh, if you just turn off your heating systems and remove your blankets, uh, if you're in the northern hemisphere and it's still warm, I just ask you to turn off your cooling systems at home. If we can't have it, neither can you. Uh, so anyway, we're in the series of Ruth. We're preaching through the book of Ruth. It's a, it's a beautiful story. However, it takes place in a, during a time when the judges ruled. And what would happen with Israel, you know, this is Old Testament stories, eighth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. What would happen is Israel would go through a season of absolute sin and chaos and ignoring leadership. And then they would end up going into exile. They'll end up going into uh, a form of imprisonment, being taken as slaves, and their world would fall apart because they were pursuing false gods. Then the Lord would raise up a redeemer. He'd raise up a judge who would then lead them out of that situation. Then they'd all follow God and everything's fantastic again. And, and then they fall back into their same old pattern. And they found themselves in this perpetual whirlwind of we would go, it would go well, then we would abandon the living God. And then it would go poorly, then we'd run back to God, he'd send a redeemer, and it was constantly going in the circle. The only way you get out of a rut, the only way you get out of something that you're stuck in all the time is for something to disrupt it. If you want your family to grow, a pregnancy is needed, and we all know pregnancy is an absolute breeze. Uh, my wife, no, I'm not going to go there. Pregnancy is easy, and having children is absolute joy. The big picture. But when it's two o'clock in the morning and they don't want to sleep and it's, they're crying and they don't know what they want, but they expect you to know, it's difficult. Anything that requires a change requires something to disrupt the status quo. Something has to happen. And what's happened in the situation is a lady by the name of Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they have they'd moved from Bethlehem with their sons Malon and Kilian. Uh, their son's name are sick and dying. And so when they eventually die from whatever caused, their, whatever caused them their death, the sons and the husbands, uh, sorry, the husband and the sons are dead. Naomi is left by herself. The sons had wives, Orpah and Ruth. Ruth, the title of the story, never wrote the book. We suspect Samuel did. But Orpah leaves and goes back to her family, and Ruth stays with Naomi. And these two ladies who are currently living in Moab, um, dreadful nation born out of incest and uh, we have to constantly rebuke that spirit but that they now go and move back to Bethlehem back to the house of bread they had left because there was a famine they had left because there was chaos and it looks like I don't know what that feels like to have your spouse die to have your children die you have no hope you have nothing. You're sitting, you have no purpose. Nothing is going for you. We read the story and go, but God has a plan. But while she's in it, she doesn't know that. While she's going through this mess, R Ruth and Naomi are oblivious to the fact that God is busy behind the scenes with something. Some of you are going through a disruption at the moment. And you're so focused on the disruption. This morning I want you to step back and go, what is God doing behind the scenes to make this disruption have an impact in the kingdom? Yeah. 
if you have gone through a disruption, you have to step back and go, what was the purpose of that disruption? I said to uh, a gentleman in this church, I spoke to him on Friday, I said to him, you're going through this chaos, have you asked God why? Because we don't want to ask God because we don't want to offend him. But if you've had a small child, that's the most used word, that and no. If you say to a five-year-old, do that, what do they say? Why? Said so. No, we don't do that anymore. When a child says why, we want to explain to them. And sometimes we tell them the whole story. We say, this is the plan, this is what we're doing. Sometimes you'll say to a child, no, you're not having ice cream now because you know, we've had dinner, it's late at night, um, it's not going to work out for you, but tomorrow you will have. And sometimes you just say no. But either way, mom and dad, generally behind the scenes, they have a better plan for the child than what they need in the moment. You've gone through disruptions in your life and you have to constantly ask the question, what is the purpose of that disruption in my life for the sake of the kingdom? If you want to see a change in your finances, if you want to see a change in your marriage, expect a disruption. Well, pastor, my husband's the disruption. No, I meant in the way things are. If you want to see change in anything, you have to have it disrupted. If you plant a seed in the ground and you expect something to grow, the ground needs to be disrupted. It needs to change what's going on there. But all of us are constantly fighting and contending for things to stay the same. Let it just stay this way. Let my budget stay this way, but I I need more money. Let my family stay this way, but I I wish my husband was better. I want my children to be this, but I need them to grow. I'm sorry, friends, this morning I'm here to tell you, change comes from disruption, and disruptions are good, but they're difficult. And God is not worried about your comfort. Woohoo! Woohoo! And we're we're sitting here fanning ourselves because we're dying of heat. Or we come to church and somebody's in our seat. Lord, if you're going to rapture anyone, rapture them first. We get frustrated with the smallest things and the smallest change. But Joe, we have a story of a cataclysmic bit of chaos in this woman's life. And she doesn't realize that this is actually world-altering stuff. You see, if the story of Ruth never took place, if that was never a reality... I suspect there's going to be a fan blowing on me very soon. Because <laughs> last time Doss, he did this, we all thought somebody was going to have to tackle him. And then we didn't. And then he did that. Dude, you're a champion and a gentleman among scholars. Thank you so much. We will keep you another year. <laughs> I was going to say, I have all my fans over here, but that's arrogant. Uh, <laughs> Ruth doesn't know, Ruth doesn't understand, Naomi's not aware that what they're going through is world-changing stuff. And you're going, it's just an old Jewish lady and a pagan woman in the middle of nowhere, in a God-forsaken environment. What change could possibly come? But let me tell you this, it's the legacy of Jesus Christ that has been brought together over here hundreds of years prior to his birth. Because Boaz and Ruth ultimately become the great-great-great-grandparents well, they have Obed. Obed has Jesse. Jesse has David. David, King David, is obviously the lineage of Jesus. That's what's starting in the story. But all they focused on is bread. That's what's happening in 
what could God possibly be birthing through the chaos that you're going through right now and you do not know what's coming? But I'm going to to read to you this morning about how God redeems us and creates these environments that in the disruption, there's something beautiful. I want to read to you this morning. Let's open in prayer and then, uh, then I'll get started. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness, your kindness, and your faithfulness. Lord, we know that life is full of famines and life is full of funerals, but we also know that life is full of faith. So we put our faith in you, King Jesus. We put our faith in you, our our Heavenly Father. We trust you and we glorify your name. And Lord, may we learn this morning that in the disruptions, you are planning something because we are kids and we do not have to fear. And whatever disruption the enemy has brought, you're going to use it for our good and for the sake of the kingdom. And we trust you, Lord God. We might not see the big picture, but we'll trust you in the small one as well. So, Lord, teach us about disruption this morning so we may grow. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to speak to you this morning. The title is Disruption is Part of the Redemption. I read Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go to my daughter. So she, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came to, from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young, woman, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. And she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Okay. Let me quickly touch on a few things. Boaz gets to the scene where Ruth is now gleaning. Ruth, poor Moabite woman, does not belong there, but she's gleaning. Let me teach you what gleaning really is. It's an, it's an ordinance that God instituted that when they would harvest in a field, they would leave the margins untouched to help the marginalized. So they'd leave the edges of the field untouched, and when they would go and harvest the wheat or the corn, whatever would fall on the ground, they would leave it there. And this is the purpose behind it. They could comfortably harvest everything, take everything, pick everything up off the ground, then give it to the poor. But what God introduces as a principle here is give, make, it, make, make resources available for the poor, but have them work. So that you allow the poor to still have value in who they are. They would still come out and earn a living while being blessed. We mustn't always have this attitude of let's give, give, give. We must have the attitude of, how do I help? How do I uplift people? It's not just handouts. It's it's equipping. And and I've been speaking to people about people in in this church saying, well, let's run a workshop to teach people within poor communities how to weld, how to cook, how to bake, how to clean. Teaching basic skills so that they can go and function and be part of a functioning society and not walking around with handouts. I'm sorry, the handout mentality and the giving without accountability Uh, It's called communism. Whereas 
kingdom is make your field available for the poor. Allow them to come and allow them to come and work. Allow them to eat because of your good stewardship. You're giving it to them anyway, but they come and earn it. When a person earns money, they feel valued. When a husband gets home and he's worked and he's earned an income, when the mom gets home and she's earned something, you'll see as Ruth gets home, there's an element of boasting in what God has done through her as opposed to a bag of handouts. Boaz gets to the field. Now, we cannot read what his attitude was like. I don't know if he got there and he went, who is this woman in my field? James Earl Jones' voice. Or, who that? (laughs) (laughs) So we don't know how he's responding, but he's noticed her. Anyway, let's go back to reading. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Woman, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that I have done for for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward given to, to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and passed to her, roast, passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some, some left over. Okay, stop there. Have you seen something switch in the story now? Starving, widow, unwanted, unneeded, of no value, makes a short journey with her mother-in-law, never anyone's first prize, goes back, goes to a place she's never been to, happens to, by chance, she just happens to be in the right field. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. It's called God-appointed moments. Open your eyes, listen. And what happens is Boaz gets there and he engages with her and in one day she goes from being a beggar coming off as a poor woman to all of a sudden she's sitting with the servants eating at the, the head table. That is salvation, friends. You go from nothing, pointless, worthless, and immediately with an encounter with the Redeemer, Boaz is known as the Redeemer, with one encounter, she goes from having nothing and eating nothing to suddenly having left over. That means excess, more than what I could have in that moment. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. But we are so terrified of finance and financial resources. We're terrified of this gospel of prosperity. But that's the only gospel I find here. How are you going to... That's the message. When you encounter God, she didn't become rich. She didn't get a new F-250 super truck, whatever. She didn't get a new house. But she had what she needed in a moment of encountering her Redeemer. There's provision in the redemption. 
But if you, you have to shift the poverty mindset. You have to stop partnering with the devil. Oh, that's all I can earn. She has earned nothing. She has been given everything. Everything. She just happened to be in the right place. Friends, you just happened to be in the right place this morning. You just happened to be online with the right message this morning. You have to shake off the poverty mentality because it is not a lifestyle, it's a demon. Do you honestly believe God wants you poor? Do you honest, if you believe God wants you poor, I do not want you to have children because you're going to keep them poor. What you need to do, you need to start understanding, uh, with my children, I want to give them everything that's good for them. I want to hold nothing back. I know what's good, I know what's bad. There's something that they may have wanted, I never gave it to them at that time because I have the wisdom. God has the wisdom. But you sit with a mentality of, God is keeping me poor to teach me a lesson. No, the enemy's keeping you poor, God's waiting for you to step out of it. Ooh, we're getting to, I'm getting to the finance part of the preach now as well. That's a deadly F word to use in church. You get to finance. People freak out. I had Ray read this, by the way. It's not, I don't have an American, American accent when I read scripture. I'm having Ray read this so that he can be gentle and kind. So you want me to pick up in the next one? 15, Ray. Right, Do go. it. Be a ray of sunshine and hope. All right. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Ray, are you saying that God is giving her even more than what she needs? Yes. Mm. <laughs> so she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it, and it was about an ephah of barley. I asked you if there was any words I couldn't pronounce. I knew there was that one. <laughs> <laughs> and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she also brought out and gave her the food that she had left over and after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who, who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I have worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Covers a whole season of just ridiculous blessing and resources being made available. But they first had to have this disruption in their lives. They first had to go through some chaos. So I want to challenge you this morning. I have four disruptions. I'm going to call them four God disruptions that I want to challenge you on this morning. My first God disruption that I want to challenge you on this morning. Have you allowed the Lord to disrupt you at work or at school? 
Have you seen how, how when Boaz gets there? He gets there. It's like a Disney movie, but the good ones, not the evil ones. He gets there and he says to his workers, what does he say? The Lord be with you. And then the, the, all the workers, they pop their heads up like gophers. The Lord bless you. He gets to his work and his business environment is built around the king and the kingdom that they can recognize that. When you get to your place of work, do they look at us, each other and go, God help us? Or do they, is there something that you're disrupting at work? Have you disrupted your work at all? Do you pray at the office? Yes, I pray that my boss dies. No, do you pray life over situations? Do you, do you, have, you, have you started communicating with other people in the building, in your office that Jesus is real, Jesus is alive? Don't ask them if they go to church. Demons go to church. Ask them, do they know Jesus? No, I'd love to tell you about him. Yes, I do know about him. Let's pray to him and ask him to help us. Have you started disrupting your work environment? Just slightly. Just slightly. Well, I play gospel music in my ear. You win the Nobel Prize for the most, for the weakest argument. Congratulations. I'm challenged. Are you disrupting your environment at all? Or are you more undercover Christian? No one really knows. You want to keep it quiet and subtly. Just, you'll pray quietly. Or are you the one that's going to go there? You're going to hunt. If you have clients, are you going to go disrupt their day? Words of knowledge. Don't be weird. To our normal is the world's super weird. Don't try to be our weird. Be this normal and you'll be weird anyway. But you should be disrupting the world a little bit. If I look at what Jesus and his disciples did, they disrupted the world a lot. Are you disrupting the world just a bit? Prayer meetings, speaking about Jesus. We're too busy running around with our flags. No gays. You know, redeem the rainbow. That's what we do. Send them to hell, Lord. As opposed to, imagine if one of you, and this is going to get used on the internet, you may not do that. I'm going to go find every homosexual person that works at my company and remind them that uh, I love them. And not, I love you because Jesus loves you, but I just, I want to pray with you and I just feel God has an incredible purpose and plan for your life. And uh, I want to bless you in Jesus' name. Now, I don't want you to send an email on the company infrastructure. I'm looking for all the homosexuals in the... It's not going to work. I'm saying, are you willing to disrupt the enemy's statement over the company that gays are somehow hated by Christians when we're supposed to love them? Or, or are we just offended by people who don't hide their sin that well? and find them, go and love them until Jesus does the work, not until you do the work. Go and love them and pray with them until the Holy Spirit does something. And He will. And He will. Now, there are moments for, I'm not talking about, you see, we want to go and treat the world the way we want to discipline in church. And, and it's supposed to be in love both ways. But we're supposed to be in the world showing the love of Christ so that it attracts the world to Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit does the work. 
You're immoral. Pah, you're a drug addict. Pah, gays and lesbians. Pah. We just we have a hate club. They know it. That's why I'm not offending anyone in this room because none of them come to church. Whereas I should be forced to go. I want to see people in the church that are so different to us, that need a touch of Jesus, that need the love of Christ, and they are different to us, and it bothers us. Uh, 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 stop clapping. Go and do it. They're not going to come in and go, there's a church, big fan. Let's go there. They're not going to drive past and be drawn in. Revival is when you go out there and agitate the world. And they go, are you saying I'm welcome there? What do you mean you're welcome there? If I bring you to church, I'll get a gift. But then you all better behave when people not like you walk in here. <laughs> I once had it. Um, I prayed, Lord, bring them all. Bring them all. I'm ready for it. It was a... Don't pray that prayer. You pray that prayer on a Thursday night. We switch the microphone off and we shut the meeting down and repent. But it's a good prayer. So I pray this, Lord, bring them all. We had about 60 people in the church. Revival had broken out as far as I was concerned. We have a, a leaders meeting. There are about 15 of us. We had done something. And this guy gets to the church. He walks in. I said to him, can I help you? He said, are you the pastor? Yeah, I said, yes, I am. He said, I'm here to kill you. You're here to kill me? Yes. All right, I need to tidy up and clean up first. Can you wait? So he said, I can. All right, that's when I knew it wasn't too serious. Uh, he went and sat. He said, can I help? I said, no, it's all right, thank you. I went, we finished cleaning up. My leaders came to me and said, are we all good? I said, no, they're good. You guys can leave. Let me get to this. And the guy sat there. He said, I heard a voice. I was driving on the freeway. On the interstate, I wasn't even going to stop in this town. I heard a voice say to me, go to this building. There's a church. There's a pastor there. You need to kill him. I'm like, wow. I wish Christians heard the voice of God the way you heard the enemy. Started speaking to him. The enemy had told him that I hate homosexuals. He's homosexual. We started, I started praying with him. The guy gets saved. He's sitting there weeping. I mean, he doesn't have his instant lifestyle change. That's not my job. I'm just leading him to Jesus and loving him. I pray with him. He goes, I'm done. He gets back in his vehicle and he leaves town. This is 10 o'clock at night. And the Lord said to me, can I really bring everyone? Yes. Then we started having the drug addicts. There was a prophetic word. You'll have drug addicts walk into the church with needles still stuck in their arms. Are you ready for that? Day spring. Yeah, we also thought so. Until a guy came to me just before the service. He said, I'm worried. The needle broke off in my arm. We watched it move up the vein I don't know where it's going I'm going I don't know how long it takes but however long it takes that's how long you've got to find Jesus can I tell you about Jesus start we minister to him he gets stuck it doesn't move it wedged itself to this day he still has it in his arm he never had it dealt with he said God has protected me are, are we ready for them are we ready for the Ruths to walk in the the non-virgin, foreigner, you're going, what are we talking about? The broken, the destitute, that have no value, have no purpose. And when they walk in, go, yes, I feel, whatever's ours is yours. Come, we want to minister to you and love on you because there's a destiny. Friends, they're not going to walk in unless you go and disrupt the environment that you find yourself in every day. Our first, are we ready for them? Okay, Sandra, you are. Just hang on. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to get the rest of the people's buy-in. 
It has to be authentic, and you need to seek Jesus because you need to get ready for it. Uh, you'll be fine. Have you allowed? Have you, has the kingdom disrupted your budget? Has the kingdom disrupted your budget? Do you tithe? Well, that's Old Testament principles. So is not murdering. So is not raping. I'll read it to you really quickly. Ray, I wouldn't make you do this. Malachi 3 verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. I love how he starts the scripture. I do not change. So what is about to be read, it means I do not change on this principle. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from our statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? He suddenly makes this change. You want to see a returning to God? Sort your finances out. Not my words, the word. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. But we have Christians, possibly some of you in the room, saying, I'm blessed, I'm so blessed, I'm going to hang on to every cent that I've been blessed with. I will not give. Old Testament is tithing. Hate it. I want to hang on to my scraps. Then God's, and then you open your hand and all the money's gone because a worm got in there. So the Lord says, stop robbing me. This is what tithing does. I want to work through it quickly. It stops you from being a thief. It brings God into your finance. It has God rebuke the devourer, and it brings food into the house. I'll elaborate on that really quickly as well. But when you take 10%, not after tax, after you've paid everyone and you've got $13 left, you know, Lord, I'm so generous, I'll give you two bucks. If you take 10% of everything, and you bring it to the storehouse, which is your church. Not to, us, not to the welfare that looks after pets and dogs sitting, and they've got a wonderful sanctuary for koala bears that I want to give money to, or my cousin in rehab, your storehouse. Then it says that there may be food in the storehouse. You want the preach to punch more? Tithe. I've heard people say, in the, they'll be in a church, never in a church I've led, but they'll say, when they preach, there's not enough meat on the preach. You don't tithe. Because when you tithe, there's food in the storehouse. That's good. That's good. Then God rebukes the devourer. We're running around trying to rebuke the I just declare over my house that this won't break and that won't break and this won't wear out and this will last. And then God says, if you'll give me 10%, I'll take care of that. He's the best bouncer. Do you know what a bouncer is? He's the best debt collector. Because when the enemy comes and starts, he steps in and rebukes the enemy. Why was Ruth being blessed? 
It's because she had blessed her mother-in-law. Boaz said, I heard how you treated your mother-in-law. I heard how you looked after the living and the dead. You see, whatever you sow in this season, you're going to reap in the next one. Whatever you're eating now is from what you were sowing previously. Now, you might be eating lean. It's time for the Lord to rebuke the devourer. Get your financial orders right. Get, get your financial affairs in order is what I wanted to say. Deal with it. I love this statement. I have it on the screen. Tithing isn't there to get money out of your pocket. It's there to get the idol out of your heart. I want to do the last two points really quickly. We have a bet that I'll be able to finish by 11 a.m. I'm working on South African time. Has the, has the kingdom of God disrupted your family? Your family's culture. Has the kingdom of God disrupted your family? Are you allowing God to disrupt family time, TV time? Are you allowing God to disrupt your arguments? Are you allowing the kingdom of God to disrupt the way you work, deal, and speak to each other? Does your family have a set of core values? I'm preoccupied with values. What are my core values? What do I, what do I push? What do I pursue? What do I, what do I expect of my family? For me, my family is one of my core values is peace. You, you're not going to say, do anything, or behave in a certain way that will strip my household of its peace. I bring the kingdom principle and I disrupt what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. My value is against that. I disrupt the family there. You have to choose what your family stands for and allow the kingdom to disrupt it. The last point is, have you allowed God to disrupt your past? Your past. This is what I mean. Ruth could have said, well, I'm just this throwaway woman. I'm a used old hag. I'm of no value. I'm destitute. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. But then she allowed the Lord to disrupt that mindset and she stepped into something majestic. She steps into something amazing. Well, let's not even focus on Ruth. What about Boaz? Boaz allowed, never allowed his past to affect him. Let me tell you who Boaz is. Boaz is the son of a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. You go read it in Matthew and Luke, the genealogy of Jesus. He was the offspring of a prostitute. His dad's name was Salmon. His mom was prostitute Rahab. He never allowed that to affect how He ended up being a wealthy landowner that he had servants working for him. You need to leave your previous world's mindset and start trusting God to start disrupting that your past is not going to determine your future. My poor decisions, possibly my own poor decisions, I'm not going to allow that to disrupt my future. I'm going to pursue what God has for me. I will allow him to disrupt that. (laughs) I do also think that there's this beautiful... He's the son of a prostitute. What future could he possibly have? He's unmarried. He's successful. I don't know what was wrong with the guy. 
He had a hand growing out of his head that none of the other girls wanted him. Or perhaps he was so broken from the environment that he came from that he was kept single because that would have been an dis- absolute disaster for him, being kept single. But in the meantime, God behind the scenes was getting Ruth ready for him to come back for them in union to have Obed, Jesse, and David. Are you allowing God to step into your lives and go, it doesn't matter what I've been through, it will be for the king and the kingdom. It doesn't matter what I've experienced, it will be for the king and his kingdom. Where people have hurt you, and if you've joined us online, if people have hurt you in church, I want to say sorry. If people have hurt you, that was the people. That was not Jesus. If people have hurt you, I'll, I'll, I'll say sorry. But we cannot allow that to hold us back. If you've, if you've walked in ministry, if you've walked in the prophetic and someone has spoken against you, life has happened to you, chaos has happened, and it's affecting the way you minister now, you, you, you need to let the Lord disrupt you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your faithfulness. And Lord God, I, just, I ask that this morning, where our lives have been disrupted and we never knew why, we'll come and honestly we'll ask you why, you'll explain and there will be life and life in abundance through what you do in us and through us. Lord, if there's someone you have this morning that has never acknowledged you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord God, that you speak into their lives right now. Father, draw them. Holy Spirit, call them right now. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never surrendered to Him, you need Him to disrupt your life. And there's no better time than now. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want to invite you to put up your hands so that I can pray with you. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to delay this, but if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who changes everything, the one who gives purpose to your destiny and gives an eternal life with Him, then when we we start moving around the sanctuary to have communion, I'd love it if you came and joined me in front, please. If that's you this morning, But to everyone else, can I please ask that you stand with me? We we have communion tables all around the sanctuary, two at the back, two in front. If you could make your way there, you do not have to be a member of Dayspring Church to have communion with us. All you need to be is a born-again child of God. If you're not born again, I'm going to wait for you in front, and I'd love to pray with you and have communion with you. But everyone else, please grab the elements so that we can break bread together.